Hello everybody and welcome back to You Can't Win. This is Tom here and I'm joined by Don as usual. Today we're going to be talking about differences between personal and individual choices and freedoms and how to balance that with collective and social decision making. So um, you want to get us started here, Don? What, what, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I think that in sort of contemporary uh, liberal debates on these kind of things, uh, it's sort of like the dominant mode of how people debate these things in the United States and sort of as an extension of that because of their economy and stuff like worldwide. Um, like the debate tends to be something like, okay, uh, should something be legal? Should it be, you know, should it be something that we allow even theoretically kind of thing, you know, like as a, as a society, um, like something like say marijuana or something like that kind of thing. We'll just, as an example. Sure. And then, uh, if you say, well, I don't have much of an opinion on it should be legal or not, like maybe, or maybe it should be legal, but I don't think you should do it. Uh, the, the sort of knee jerk reaction from people is kind of like, well, then shut up and don't do it and leave me alone kind of thing. Right. And I think that transcends both the right and the left on a lot of this kind of stuff. Like, uh, um, that's kind of like that libertarian kind of impulse mm -hmm. is there. And, uh, the difference for me, I mean, when I'm thinking about this is I do think about it in some economic terms because with something like in the future, like socialist planning or something like that, or even just, I mean, the, the problem still exists today is like, what kind of things do you want production to go into? Like, what kind of things do you want your economy making? And uh, those things, you know, th those involve trade-offs and, I mean, they currently involve trade-offs at the, at the very least, like... Um, where it's stuff like, okay, well, do you want your economy to put so much resources into building and distributing marijuana or something like that versus some other, you know, use for that social time and social right. resources and stuff. And like poppies for heroin or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And at some level, like a centrally planned economy has to have or, you know, any sort of socialist economy it doesn't have, it doesn't matter if you pretend that if it's central planned or not, but like it has to kind of have like a budget line for that kind of stuff, like at some level, you know, like how much heroin do you think that the Soviets should produce or something like that, you know, like <laughs> it's, it's like that. It's just, it, that's just a natural thing. And that exists in our society, but we kind of filter it through money. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, uh, well, if you don't want it, just don't buy it kind of thing. But I think that it's interesting because, uh, there's a lot of things where that libertarian impulse conf conflicts with people's moral, you know, opinions about what the kind of things should be allowed in different ways, especially when there's like overriding other concerns. And I think that people get a certain, especially liberals get a certain kind of like excitement around finding those exemptions and stuff like, uh, you know, because of like say climate change or, because of maybe they have vegetarian opinions or something like that kind of thing, like trying to find ways of saying, you know, I support the freedom to do this, but because of animal rights or whatever, we can't have this kind of production and stuff. And right. You know, the, the, the intuition that we could avoid these decisions by uh, sort of d dispersing them out to individuals and saying, well, if you don't want to do it, then don't do it. Um, you know, I, that tends to be my reaction to most of this stuff too, but it's not really at the end of the day. Um, it's not, it's not the actual, 
you know, like you have to have an actual opinion on for yourself and maybe for your loved ones and, you know, and at some level for the community at large, like what kind of things do you want to emphasize? What kind of things do you want to, to kind of make up your community in different ways? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's deeply ingrained. You know, I think it's, it, it's, it's at such a deep level that even when you feel some kind of uh you have some different sort of competing ideology in your head, I, th- I think it still it tends to, to like predominate, you know, like whether you're like, you know, you were talking about how like liberals and conservatives both think of, of this the same way. I think that's true. But uh, in both cases, there are things that sort of contradict that in different ways. Like conservatives mm-hmm. might have different social attitudes about different things that they would rather like oppose or whatever. But then they kind of concede to the the sort of like libertarian of like, well, if it doesn't bother you, just don't leave it alone. Don't do it. But it's none of your business kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and liberals have the have the same th- things with like, especially I think around like feminist or women's issues and stuff. I think this stuff comes up and yeah, gun control, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then even like if you're the most like trad religious, you know, based whatever kind of guy in the world. I think th- this stuff still, like, it's very hard to get out from under it, you know? Like, uh, I-, I have, like, it-, it-, it weighs very heavy on my mind. I'm not trying to present myself as, like, the, the most trad guy in the world or whatever, but, like, I, I feel like that that's never going to go away for me. That's going to always be some sort of, like, background thing. And I don't even think it's, like, a bad principle, really. Like, I think it, in many cases it makes a lot of sense to kind of treat people this way. Um, and mm-hmm. even even at a collective level, in many cases, I think it's often the best policy. But I, I do think it's a, it's a little bit um, maybe problematic is too strong a word, but it's like worth looking at and worth sort of critiquing uh, the fact that it's sort of just like this underlying assumption that we just sort of take as like a base value that supersedes everything. Um, you know, anything that takes that position deserves a lot of criticism because, like, who knows what's going on with it? You know, they often sort of go unexamined. So two things that I thought were kind of interesting to to look at here with when it comes to that. Uh, the first is that I think in many different sort of cultural contexts, there are lots of things that are framed as, like, uh, values and virtues of a, of a community or a way of doing things at a certain you know, the certain group of people do and they sort of become invisible. And mm-hmm. so it, like whether it's like a positive thing in the sense of like doing something a particular way, like positive in the sense of like, you know, adding or affirming something or negative in the sense of like not doing something, refraining from doing something. I think a lot of those things become sort of uh, valorized and taken as just a an assumed good thing without like a kind of rational consideration for it. It just sort of becomes like obvious in a, in a certain kind of way. Mm -hmm. And uh, for us in like in in the modern kind of context, I think this idea of this, like if it doesn't actively violate your rights, then it's none of your business and you, you can't really say anything either way about it. You just let other Mm -hmm. people do their thing. I think that takes this position you know, and I don't know, you know, I've lived in different places and stuff where they have like different kinds of cultural quirks and stuff that you have to get used to. And some of them are positive. Some of them are negative in, in that kind of sense that I'm talking about. 
and uh, I, I think just because it was a, a thing that I I was very young at the time, like it always just seemed like, okay, well, I guess I just go along with this, even if it doesn't necessarily like make sense to me. It didn't really bother me when a certain country had a thing that you're not supposed to do. Like in Thailand, you're not supposed to like, like feet are a big thing and touching people's, like the top of someone's head is like extremely rude and all this kind of stuff. And that just seems like that wouldn't offend me, but I sort of understood that I shouldn't be doing that. Or even if it didn't offend the person I was doing it to, other people are going to see that and be like, what, what's going on there? Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of, uh, I mean, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but I guess like it's good to have that sort of outsider perspective on your own culture as much as you can too, you know, it, kind of look yeah. at it objectively. And yeah, uh, yeah so like if, for us, I think there are certain things like that that we we argue it in this way of like, well, it doesn't bother me, so I'm going to let other people do it, and that's okay because it's not harming anyone sort of a thing. But I think that we sort of define – it's a circular kind of reasoning where it's like, well, what does it mean to harm somebody? What does it mean to like that uh, you know it doesn't bother you? Well, like what are we talking about? Like if it's something like, like drug use of – of different kinds marijuana is a is a kind of a bad example here because that's i think harder to prove or harder to show as an example of something that is like actively causing harm but like alcohol or or something like that or harder drugs there are Mm -hmm. lots of social costs to that right Mm -hmm. and you can say like well someone having a beer or a glass of wine in a restaurant and then going home like that's not a really that's not a big deal doesn't really bother you but there's like drunk driving, there's domestic violence that occurs as a result of it. it, it there's health problems that it, that it, you know, increases and that incurs a social cost that everyone has to kind of accommodate. And as I'm not necessarily saying those are anything like, you know, you have to weigh the balance, right? Like there's a, mm-hmm. there's a balance there. So I think a lot of things just sort of come under the umbrella of, well, we've determined that this doesn't harm other people in a very kind of like, it's, it's it's almost like dogmatic the way that we think about it. Like it's, there's not a way to rationally evaluate that. So we just sort of say, like, if you, you know, we just say so, some things don't do that when you could argue that they do. Right. And, uh, yeah. and then, so certain things that we are allowed to do just culturally, we sort of put it into this rationalized kind of thing of like, well, we allow this because we're rational or rational culture. We don't have like these sort of like uh, just inherited notions. Instead, we've determined that this doesn't harm people. So you should be allowed to do it. That's how progress works and all this kind of stuff. I just think that that's uh, like a pretty flimsy narrative when you look at it. Like, I don't think that's really so true. I think to a large extent, it's just as like quote unquote irrational as any other culture. Like things just sort of develop for whatever reason. And it's not like there's some kind of enlightened, kind of guiding principle behind it all um yeah i'm not sure how i feel about that exactly i mean i i I do tend to agree with a lot of the liberal sort of ideas about freedom being i mean i do too let me be clear i do too i just like i the way i see people justify it i feel is often pretty flimsy yeah i feel like i feel like maybe it's not it's not really the optimal like people kind of treat it as this natural thing that like a this this scientific process of sort of like revealing liberty over time or something or you know and getting away from all the irrational prejudices and all that right. kind of stuff and I, i'm not sure i even disagree with that but i think that like 
a lot of it is because of basically just facts about social life that we don't have much control over that we think we do sometimes kind of thing like you know like the inability of the government to actually enforce good laws you know to to in in our kind of contemporary society like uh to uh, to an incredible extent really you know like to mm-hmm. to not you know you know like you know and the drug war is a pretty good example of that of you know like wh- whatever you think about whether or not the government should ban certain things and that there is this apparatus on top of it that doesn't seem to be doing a good job of enforcing those laws and you know destroying a lot more lives maybe you know to some extent and and not even stopping the drug problem kind of thing so yeah you know there's there's stuff like that where it's like I think that's maybe the core of the argument really is, is that the administration of these things causes these huge secondary problems and stuff. And you see that a lot too with things like abortion where, um, you know, the, the mainstream of the debate in the United States tends to focus around less like, less specific religious things, but more things like individual rights, like kind of stuff. Like, like people talk a lot about how, to the pro pro life movement is very religious and things, but it doesn't. It's still you know the main argument that people give is for banning abortion or something like that is it's a human life like it's it's a life like it's a person. Kind of yeah, thing or something it's still like that. framed around the basic like libertarian yeah. non aggression principle. Like you're taking a life without consent. Almost yeah. it's like the argument against it. It's not. It's not really the fact that like god says there shouldn't be abortion or something like that kind of thing like that's not that's part of it it's bound up in it but it's not really it's it it's uh argued through this constitutional framework of liberalism kind of thing you know right because like those people wouldn't argue generally speaking those people don't argue against other things that are just in the the bible like adultery or something right like they don't they don't seek to ban that i think the the trappings of religion just becomes a way of like asserting an identity within that general movement but like both sides of the debate are really pinned on this like issue like the reason it's actually an issue is because you can make a a sufficient like argument that's accepted within that logic of of like the non-aggression principle kind of thinking you know Mm -hmm. yeah i think that a, a perfect example of this kind of stuff that has cropped up in the last few days Although I also think it's like an absurd debate in the way that it's framed and, and a lot of people that are participating in it are just childish on all sides is uh, the question of uh, Joe Biden receiving communion in Catholic churches, you know, and okay. uh, have you seen this at all or no? Uh, not really. I'm, I don't really know what the debate is. I just, I, okay. I know, I mean, I guess mainly from you that, yeah, I guess this is a okay. thing, but. Sure. Um, so it, it was like, I don't know, maybe, I mean, Twitter kind of makes your feed look like, you know, I don't know, like it's, it's, it reinforces what you already are following and stuff. But like, yeah, there, there was like millions of tweets about this kind of stuff about like, um, back and forth. And what happened was, uh, the bishops basically, you know, there's this longstanding thing, a debate about whether or not politicians who, promote abortion should be allowed to um, participate in mass where they receive the Eucharist, like, you know, just Mm. get the bread and wine from the uh, priest. And that debate, um, you know, it's this idea of within the church, the more conservative side of the church, you know, it's this idea of, 
well, if it, we're not going to pretend that he's a Catholic in good standing if he's participating in this like practice that we consider very harmful or something like that. And that uh, debate then becomes, it's just like a purely culture war kind of thing, right? Uh, beyond that kind of thing where it, it really gets a lot of attention. Like the, you know, like all of the liberal big accounts will weigh in on, a, on it and be like, you should leave the Catholic church and you should, you should, uh, you know, like uh, George Takai's account had a thing that was like, Buddhists don't tell you you can't commune with the universe if you disagree about abortion or something like that kind of thing or you know like whatever you know stuff like that like just and the level of debate is very very low and kind of dumb but it's also very functional for both sides kind of thing yeah like where uh, you know both sides are like get to rile up their troops and rattle around some donations and stuff like that you know like just just NGOs versus NGOs kind of stuff and I don't know. So it's it's very irritating, but it does bring in that kind of, you know, it, the reason why it's also got that debate kind of salience is because it's got this very, very complex, at least like ideologically complex, like, okay, you know, can a church make that kind of claim on a leader, you know, about their individual political opinions and practices whatever in a way that you know it within the ideology of the religion you know like it's, it's pretty profound it's a, like you know you are basically to some extent being excluded from the religion being kicked out to some extent you know like you're you're being denied a very basic uh sacrament in the religion um because uh, of this uh, disagreement which they you know within the architecture of the belief is like you know, this guy is participating in basically some sort of insane genocide of millions of babies or something like that kind of thing, you know, like, and then, uh, and, but the rage that it generates is uh, very, very interesting. And I think it's because of that, uh, it's that idea of that collective making a claim on someone's, you know, it's like, okay, you don't want to do that, then we don't do this kind of thing or whatever, you know, like, it's like this back and forth. And uh, it creates like this rage because it's it's like a collective claim that doesn't fit perfectly into the liberal kind of model or whatever, right? Like it's like uh, it's it's saying we have this uh, power over you to not, you know, over your life mm-hmm. that doesn't doesn't filter down into the very easy, you know, liberal assumptions about what a life should be it's like you know it 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 taps into very very deep old american prejudices about like how catholics are trying to take over the government and stuff like that like uh sure um and i kind of i get that like i think that that's i get that that's why it's like a salient debate point where people are going to go back and forth about it and stuff but it's also at such a low weird level and such a it, it feels like it feels like the kind of fight that people have under like say Obama or Clinton or something, you know, like it's like we, we pivot to these kind of kinds of debates. We pivot to these kinds of, uh, um, you know, how many angels dance on a pinhead kind of debates where it's like, we, uh, we don't know where we're going to go with it kind of thing, you know, like where, like where, like where, where, where would this kind of debate 
like how is it productive in any way for anyone other than just kind of this cheap back and forth or something so um i don't know i i uh i understand that that involves like conflicting types of ideology and stuff like that that i just don't have as much of an investment in like i don't i don't i don't have the same opinions about pro-life stuff that other people do and i don't you know but i don't know it's just a it's a very bizarre punishing to read kind of debate because you see these people making very very flippant points back and forth and it feels like a pseudo politics or something like that so you know yeah i see what you mean yeah, I think one of the difficulties is that we don't really have like a, a really good alternative. Like, I think th- this is a good example of it where, okay, so let's let's try to examine this issue from a different kind of perspective where it's not like does the church have a right to kind of like, uh, I don't know, like supersede someone's personal opinions that we kind of, view as like a sacrosanct kind of thing or as as like a sacred thing that someone has a right to like have their personal opinions and then you know that's like a a liberal kind of that's like one of the bases of like engagement with like a liberal political community right is that you like you have your personal opinions and you you offer that up and then it's in the marketplace of ideas and all that kind of stuff um so as a catholic you have some sort of uh you know, the church has, or I would imagine has some sway over your opinions, right? Like they have some authority that you accept as like, well, they, they know better than me on certain things, you know, and that that should have some sway over it. Um, so it's, it's sort of like, well, we should allow the, the Catholic community to kind of determine this for themselves. But then the, the issue is like the, that community is also governed by this ideology. Like the way people in the community think about things is just, they're not, totally separate right like they're just americans and and whatever like the same as anybody else so like what is what's what's the alternative right like you could talk about you know you were you were discussing like in a socialist context where you want to look at like is this a thing that we want to put energy into like in our to produce in our economy and all that kind of stuff but it's difficult to come up with a metric that would be like well this this is better than that because of X, Y, Z, because you can kind of easily argue one way or the other. So I think like it's very difficult to arrive at a place where you can like rationally determine one decision over the other, because like anything, any kind of like decision-making along those lines ends up kind of, I don't know, you can end up arguing both sides pretty easily. Uh, I, I think because these questions aren't really, we're trying to answer them in ways where you can't really do that. So we end up with these kind of like indefinable, intangible terms that are being used as if they were rational, tangible, measurable things. And you end up being able to do it both ways, you know, like with the abortion thing, you can kind of find a way to argue that on both sides with uh, even with like uh, the drug war and stuff, you can find a way to argue that on both sides. Although like you make a very good point that the way that the drug war is prosecuted and the way that we kind of uh, administrate the prohibition of drugs and stuff is clearly the big problem more so than the any kind of philosophical debate about like what should and shouldn't be allowed. So I don't know. I think it's very difficult, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it becomes difficult even in the context of things like like ecology and you know environmentalism where yeah i mean to some extent 
it's not the case that you just want this free for all of production where, you know, everyone gets to choose what they want to maximize to produce through, you know, consumerism and stuff. Uh, to some extent, you want almost like a base zero kind of thing where it's like, unless you have some sort of good reason for it, uh, you know, to induce certain some sort of production, you don't necessarily want, uh, you don't you don't want to induce production that you don't need, kind of thing. You know, you don't want like uh, sure just a, a bunch of junk floating around, and and uh, it's almost like, you know, if if uh, those trade offs exist too. I mean, the the obvious trade off that people, I think you kind of, you know, come up come across at some point in your life at least like is this idea that like okay, even in my own life, I have to trade off what my own needs are with other people. Uh, not just maybe within a family, but within, you know, like a society at large kind of thing where, you know, uh, both of us live relatively comfortable lives in, you know, rich countries and stuff. And, uh, but, you know, at some level it's like, okay, well, if I didn't buy that next video game that for 50 bucks, whatever, I could donate that and it would like maybe feed another person for a few days or something like that kind of, you know, like mm -hmm. there's that, that kind of trade off too, where, Within our current system, you know, at, at least at some theoretical level, th those trade-offs exist and we kind of suppress them within our own minds because you can't live like that. You can't live thinking that way, really, to 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 any extreme extent or something. And, yeah, or at least uh, the everyday person, like, to expect, sure. like, the population at large to think that way is just, yeah, not mm -hmm. going to happen. But, uh, you know, those kind of things, that ecological basis then also becomes a way of thinking of other like social institutions that you're worried about and stuff where you know like say for religion or something like what is the optimal number of churches that you should be building as a society every year or something like that you know that kind of thing like mm -hmm. or uh you know should we if like the situation you know the population changes within the way that religions you know set up like should you take a church from one community and give it to a mosque or something like that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like those kind of within an actual everyday society, you don't notice those things and you don't consider those decisions because of how they're filtered through money and different types of policy and stuff. But it, it really does exist as like a problem of like, you know, like what kind of uh, production do we uh, maximize even within the cultural slash religious kind of sphere or something like that. So, you know, most people would maybe say, I mean, not most people, like, you know, most secular people would probably say we should put very small amount of money into this kind of stuff or whatever, or more small amount of resources into, you know, like how much Sunday school should we have or something. But like, uh, you know, I don't know. We're going to have to think of ways how to negotiate that, that uh, involve some sort of individual reckoning with things, even if money doesn't exist in the same way or something like that kind of thing. So, yeah. You know. mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I keep, thinking it just it always comes back to this for me like how do you even let's say that you get away from the problem in whatever kind of way of oh well we're just letting people do whatever they want for their own sort of personal gain and their personal interests and that just like leads to this kind of like chaotic anarchic thing that's like unmanaged and so we're not even able to make those decisions collectively well let's say we somehow resolve that it still comes down to like well, by what metric do we make these decisions? It's not as easy yeah. as just like, oh, well, we just need to get 
everyone uh you know on the same page and then we're good to go it's still a very difficult thing to evaluate like how do you determine this exactly i think we've sort of taken a shortcut with this like libertarian sort of thinking about like well if if it doesn't bother anyone then you shouldn't stop them from doing it Mm -hmm. you know we can see problems with that and just like on a logical level and i think there's plenty of examples of like where that also fails like at a uh in the consequences of of that kind of policy and that kind of like cultural consensus and everything but i don't know what you can really you know how, how do you resolve that it's not really very clear to me i, I think that l- when you um look at like a a pre-modern and especially like a religious context I don't. Th- I don't think we can like just go back to the to those sorts of systems and stuff. I, I think we need mm-hmm. to kind of figure things out on our own in our own sort of way. But I I do think like that they were a little bit more honest about the fact that like certain things are to some extent arbitrary. Like they didn't have the same kind of sense of um, you know we were talking about like how we kind of think of this as like sort of being rationally like some almost like scientifically sort of determined thing of like you know well we've we've transcended irrational thinking about these sorts of issues and now we determine them on some kind of rational basis and that can be socialist or like a liberal capitalist sort of thing they both they both suffers from the same problem right of like imagining yourself as like objective when you're not really being objective you're just kind of pretending that this easy way of framing an issue makes it rationalized makes it kind of like outside of of uh prejudice and bias and stuff like that and then you kind of just go with that and like how whoever kind of argues it in those terms wins the debate and then the issue is solved well what you're really just doing is entrenching some kind of uh, it's you're you're going back to this thing that you're hoping to get away from I don't even think that getting away from that kind of like quote unquote irrational cultural stuff like those that sort of decision making. I don't know if that's possible and I don't know if that's even like a problem. I think that's just a human thing that we do and that's just kind of how it is. Mm -hmm. Um, But it it does like because we don't have a kind of like an underlying basis for for anything except that it's very difficult to figure out what's a a good alternative to this or what's like a way of resolving this problem because it's just like well that's all we have so we have to come up with something new or or i i I really don't know yeah i think that a lot of this stuff really does like historically come down to like sort of a marxist thing where um you know these values around you know letting you know that this idea of decentralization of decision making a lot of the time comes down to allowing owners of property to make decisions over their own workers yeah. and over their own sure lives and then that sort of maybe trickles down through struggle and stuff to different ways where average people have used that language to you know leverage the situation to be able to eke out kind of maybe some freedoms other than that kind of thing, you know, like other than just basic commercial kind of property related freedoms. And, you know, that's always, that whole process has always been, you know, off and on in different ways. Like in, you know, there's, it, it, 
like what we attribute consistency to in this sort of capitalist project is not always true. I mean, you know, like it was compatible with slavery for a long period of time. It was compatible with, you know, uh, you know, I mean, even stuff like the drug war and stuff like, you know, that's, I think that's why for libertarian, you know, politically minded people in the United States, that's why that there's there's like a lot of rage around it. Um, it's because, you know, it, it seems, it seems straightforwardly in contradiction with this, these commercial values of allowing people to trade things that they want, even if they cause harm and stuff. And because, you know, that, that, I mean, that's what a lot of the rest of the American economy is, is, is like, yeah, I, you know, it's production of like guns or it's production of, you know, like all of these other types of things that, you know, it's, it's unhealthy foods. It's, you know, it's, it's just, uh, I don't know. Like, I really do think that like, I mean, the Trump era kind of proved it is that like, you've got this almost like rage against the machine cinematic universe society or something like that <laughs> kind of thing where, yeah. you know, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think that it, it, there is this sort of like, well, why, why not this other thing too then kind of thing. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Which is like fair enough, but uh, you know, you, there's uh, clearly an issue with that, right? Like sure. it, we go, we start, everyone is when they start thinking of, i shouldn't say everyone but most people when they start to kind of like say like well i think libertarianism appeals to everybody on some level they kind of think about that because we have these like inherited ideas about like leaving each other alone and like liberty and freedom and all this kind of stuff it appeals on some level but as soon as you start to kind of walk down that road a little bit you're like wait a second you want to have private police wait you want private owned sidewalks like at some point there's some kind of stopping block where you're like oh that's why this doesn't work that's why we sort of can't just embrace this logic fully i think most people end up in that place at some point but you you know you take that logic and you walk it back it it never made sense at any point really like it, it, it doesn't work on any kind of level fundamentally it it's not like it it's a some kind of evil thing because it doesn't work, but it's just not a rational argument for anything, really. It, it, mm-hmm. I would say that it's, from my view, it's rational in that it doesn't produce harm, generally speaking, compared to alternatives that we have when it works, right? But many times it doesn't work, and we just don't have a good way of determining when it when is this working, when is this not working, you know? Mm-hmm. Instead, we just have, like, are we applying the you know, these dogmatic principles, if yes, then it's working fine, you know? Yeah, that, that kind of reminded me of this, uh, sort of tying it together in a way, is that like that, um, you know, some of my friends who are socialists, uh, and Catholics, um, are looking at the Biden kind of thing. And, you know, a lot of the sort of mainstream liberal debate around, uh, the Biden communion issue, they're saying, well, you know, it's not like the bishops would deny you know they didn't deny this or that person communion like this politician communion even though they supported a war they didn't deny this person you know yeah. like uh like they, they kind of go down the list of other bad things in society that are pretty bad or like support for torturers and stuff and then so the socialist uh catholic response that i've seen from some people is well then yeah maybe we should do that or something like that kind of thing and it, right. it's a it's a flippant kind of argument but it is it is kind of one of those things it's like okay well if uh, we do have leverage and you know or 
I mean, I think I think of it in terms of leverage. You can you can also kind of say, well, there is a basic matter of respect and integrity of the community and stuff too, right? Where it's like, uh, if you don't if you don't have some sort of line of who can participate, then there is no church kind of thing, right? Like it's just it's just like a, it becomes almost like a civil yeah. society, a civil uh, function or something where you're just distributing the Eucharist to everyone, and there's no actual belief in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist and stuff. So, um, and, uh, yeah, but I mean, this also comes around in different ways where, you know, the churches were denying the Eucharist to like gay people and stuff like that. Right. Like for, I don't, I don't know if it still doesn't, I mean, maybe in some places, but, um, there was this, uh, very long tradition of, you know, if someone was like openly gay, you shouldn't give them communion because they were like you you got you should be on the other side of this we need to get you in the priest row like, <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, this yeah, all twisted. yeah yeah so uh i don't know but it it's one of those things where it gets very very tangled and stuff and uh i don't know to be honest it makes me doubt uh like more and more like that just the the capacity of the church to navigate those kind of problems and stuff in the united states especially where it's just like you know, you've got this whole, I don't know, it's like, it, it's very, very determined to be a culture war institution right now in a lot of ways. And uh, that's not true at all, all localities. And it's not true, like, you know, it's not, it's not 100% true in different ways, because there is all that. So the, like a social justice element to it. But like, I don't know, like, uh, it's really not like, uh, pleasant to just see that focus or something like that. So I think that's the you know, I, I understand when people are kind of saying there's this balance where you're like, okay, well, you, you maybe should be excluding other people and stuff. But I, I don't know, it gets it gets into this. It feels like one of those like uh, traps where like, the further you get into it, it's a quicksand or something like that. Like the further yeah. you get into it, the more you struggle with it, the more you get with, into it, uh, the more you're getting away from the whole point of trying to escape it kind of thing or something. So Right, like um, you would like to say that, well, the socialist you know, this contingent of Catholic socialists seems to be more consistent in that, like they're saying, if we're going to do this, let's apply it, you know, yeah, to all these different leaders and stuff. But then you get back to things that they may really have a problem with, like with gay people or something. Well, maybe that's like, how, how can we like really take those two things apart? Like if the church has a certain stance on an issue and, you know, values it as something that would qualify you for, not receiving the communion or whatever, then you can't really like pick and choose. You really have to go like all in or nothing on it, but uh, maybe it runs into the same kind of problem as this idea of like the libertarian market kind of stuff where it's like, yeah. you know, maybe this thinking about things in these terms in the first place, it isn't really very reasonable in the first place. Like, yeah. you know, it's one thing for the church to have its like position on something and to whatever. But like, if that ends up, being something that's like a, a significant social factor in some way, then it needs to be tied, I guess, in some some kind of measure to, like, is this a social good or not? I think, like, yeah. like, um, you know, I, it's funny. It's funny that it took me this long to realize, like, what you're describing is exactly the same thing that goes on with like tech fear and all that kind of stuff in the Muslim community, where like certain leaders are like, there's especially like. Um, 
kind of like fundamentalist sort of like Saudi inflected types of Muslims make takfir on all kinds of different leaders because they're not doing this or they are doing that or what, whatever. And there's like a debate about like, to what extent do you have a duty to do this? And to what extent do you have like, a, can you not do that? You know, so long as there's like certain, like a, a bare minimum of what the leader is doing before you can actually make takfir of them and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know that that's pretty it's very similar i think in in my eyes in that like it's it tends to be a very obvious split along like political lines that are determined by other kinds of logic it's not really based on this one question people kind of pick and choose how they apply it and then um but i i mean i do see like now it's it's a little bit more resolved in that the various camps on the issue have their camps and they've kind of come to peace with like this is just a debate. Some people have this opinion. Some people have this opinion. But there's like a consensus on like probably not a good idea to just be tech fearing people willy nilly for the most part. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Um, yeah, and I think there's like reasonable voices that are um, have kind of like clarified the issue enough that it's like not as big a thing as it used to be. So, you know, hopefully that kind of happens with with the Catholic thing, too. Yeah, I mean, the the most sort of reasonable explanation i can like i've i've seen from someone was basically saying okay well if you have you know i think of it in terms of like the ideological architecture or something so the you know you've got this one point which is the eucharist is the real presence of christ and therefore is incredibly like sacred and holy and has to be distributed only you know, you shouldn't you should shouldn't take it lightly if you're just giving it to someone that you know in your heart is participating in this other process that you consider. You know, I I always I, I use the word genocidal because that's basically the way that the logic goes. I think I think if you think that millions yeah. of people are being killed for a particular reason, um, then you know, you know the the argument is those are two pretty basic. Those individual beliefs are pretty basic to the Catholic religion in the United States. Like, you know, the of people who are, like, committed Catholics in different ways uh, that are part of the architecture of, like, the church or whatever, like, uh, the hierarchy and, and all that, uh, that is, those are, both of those beliefs are pretty solid, most, you know, most of the time kind of thing or whatever. And uh, then it's almost like if you just focus on those two things, you're compelled to do it so that anyone that disagrees with that has to disagree with either of those points, you know? Uh it ha- they they have to believe that there there is no real presence of Christ, and it's just a memorial that kind of symbolizes Christ or something like that kind of thing. That is not the stakes are low on that, or they have to think that abortion is not really that big of a deal, that it has to be stopped as if it's like some war crime or something like that kind of thing. And uh, I I mean I, me personally I I I don't know where. Like, when I hear it laid out like that, I just go, yeah, well, I don't know if I do believe in either of those ones in that, in that, put it that way kind of thing, you know? Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I think that, you know, the, the it, it, get, it becomes kind of almost like a flippant thing. It's like, well, if you don't believe that, then, you know, you're, you're sort of outside of this thing. And it's like, well, yeah, but I don't know. I just, I look at it and I go, you know, I, I almost, there I, I almost reverse the onus to some extent where it's like, if you believe both those things um you wouldn't be so flippant about it you know yeah um it wouldn't yeah, be a exactly. culture war thing right so but then i think to myself 
if that's true, then I'm also saying that they don't believe one of one of those things, you know, like I'm (laughs) saying that you don't, I'm I'm saying if you, if you're saying that, then you don't really think this is a genocide. You Mm -hmm. know, if you're joking about it and to some extent, or trying to score points in an argument or something like that, kind of, you know, I, I, I just don't think that. And at the same time, you know, because as I said, you don't, you don't deny it just, you don't rigorously, rigorously deny it to all sorts of people and stuff like that based on the same criteria. You also don't believe to some extent, maybe that you, this, in this sort of real presence thing that you're saying that you do to that extent kind of thing or something like that, you know, I don't know. I just, I feel like, or, you know, at the very least there's gotta be some, you're not at a hundred percent on both of them for sure or something like that. So that filters down into politics. And so, yeah, anyways. Yeah. You know what that reminds me of? I think I've mentioned this Hadith before, maybe you remember it, but uh, it's about takfir and it said, uh, the prophet said that um, if a brother makes takfir of his brother, then one of them is right. In other words, if yeah. you if you're declaring someone outside of the religion, well, one of you is is outside of it, you know. So yeah, like it's exactly. basically yeah. like it's a grievous thing to make that claim in the first place. But if you're at the point of making that claim and you're like a righteous person, you're like speaking the truth about it, then it's it's true. But if it's not, then you are really stepping outside of the bounds to the point that you know you're essentially takfiring yourself by taking it too lightly. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And, I mean, there is a danger always in focusing on, you know, the kind of flipping back and forths that happen online and stuff like that. Or, like, you know, uh, it, there's also, like, a tendency maybe to identify a particular aspect of a debate with the whole institution, too, kind of thing. Where, yeah, you know, I mean, like, this is one thing that they're focused on that they're doing and stuff. But you got to think that, like, the average Catholic church... Uh, a lot of what they're doing is just like really, really boring, not boring, but like mundane kind of, or not, maybe sure. not mundane either, but like, you know, this, this stuff like, uh, you know, they're holding weddings, they're, they're doing funerals. They're, <laughs> yeah. They have other soup other kitchens things. and stuff, you know, like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. they might, you know, this is what bishops get up to when they meet, but like, it's not necessarily the way that, uh, the average person experiences the religion even. So, yeah. Yeah. It's difficult, man. Uh, like, like I was saying, I, I just, I don't know how to get around some of these questions. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the point, I don't know if I made it clear before the point I was trying to get at with, uh, like a religious sort of view of this or a, maybe a pre-modern view that's heavily grounded in, in like a, real, a religious tradition. Um, I think it, it's a little bit more honest about certain things in that, like, the arbitrariness of certain aspects that are just accepted are kind of like baked in as not exactly arbitrary, but it's, there's not like a, Oh, well that we believe this is true because of X, Y, Z, like rational reasoning, kind of a like, there's not like a formula that's on display to be like, well, here's the formula. This is why we know all this is, there's a certain level of this is what God wants. And, you know, we know what God wants for X, Y, Z reasons, and that's kind of you can debate around that and stuff, but at a certain level, it it kind of hits a floor where it's like, well, because of God, then that's it. Sure. 
you know? Yeah. And I mean, even in like a context where it's not exactly like uh, in an Abrahamic sort of like God based sort of thing, it's, there's like a sense of like, well, this is like the natural order of things. This is the natural way of things like that. The, the King is determined by whatever kind of, you know, law or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's uh like I said before, I don't know if there's a way to get around this like basic arbitrary nature of like collective decision making at some level. I think it sort of has to maybe go that way, possibly. Like that just seems like I haven't seen like real proof otherwise. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'd be happy to be proven wrong, but like I, I just kind of feels that way. Yeah, and that kind of gets at the historical problem with this, like the the broader problem of. You know, we're we're still assuming in most of what we're talking about of this, uh, you know, of a variety of different religions debating with each other, people being able to enter enter and exit the religions if they feel like it, as if there were associations, and all that kind of stuff. Where, you know, for a lot of history and uh, that concept was very alien to how people actually ran things. Like societies would be one religion or the other and stuff like that kind of thing, and that, you know, the state would somehow be fused with that to some extent, um, or at least like it informed a lot of what was going on in society to the sense, the, to the, you know, to the degree that it wasn't like, it wasn't this sort of like marketplace of ideas kind of idea of religion kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it was like, I would frame it as like the legitimacy of a political body would be based in large part on some kind of religious character. Yeah. You know. And I think that like that difference uh, gets back to the same kind of idea of what kind of truth does a society reflect and mm. and uh, adhere to, which is it's it's stuff like should a constitution of a country say we're a Christian nation or something like that kind of thing, you know, right. or should it say we're an Islamic republic? Like obviously, uh, this kind of stuff came up. I mean, it comes up all the time, but it it, it uh it especially came up on things like say after the United States invaded Iraq and Afghanistan and stuff where they, you know, had that constitution building process and stuff, whatever, where, and in both of those countries, they came to the conclusion that they would at least on paper say, you know, uh, I'm pretty sure that it's still the case in both of those countries where it says something like we are Islamic republics. Yeah, I think that's true. There was this book um, this guy Feldman wrote about, like, he was working for uh, a committee involved with Iraq and was, like, involved with the Constitution writing in Iraq. And he wrote a book, like, arguing in favor of involving Sharia on some level in the development of, like, states in the Middle East and stuff. I mean, complete neocon kind of guy, right? But, like, at the same time, he he wasn't... uh, he wasn't like this kind of like wild like Islamophobe kind of a thing. Like he he it was it's a fairly scholarly like kind of intelligent take on. I mean the colonial project of nation building. So like you know like put, putting that aside like your moral judgments about that aside. He, yeah, he did argue uh, like in favor of that, and I think that's essentially the 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 track that people went down with that stuff. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, there's also related to that you know in in christian countries a lot of a lot of countries maybe in say latin america or um in europe you know they might have some constitutional or legal recognition where 
either there's like a treaty with the Vatican or there's some sort of relationship with the church um, that's not, it doesn't fit neatly into liberal sort of values in different ways. Uh, or it's it's been reworked to fit liberal ideology, but not necessarily actually, uh, not not in this kind of like rights come from, you know, rational whatever you know stuff so you know like you'll have you'll have constitutional clauses that say stuff like the religion of the people in this nation is predominantly christian or something like that so it's like a nod to it but it's not there's no actual function to it most of the time you know yeah like 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 with monarchies in europe you know Mm -hmm. a lot of those got grandfathered in because they sort of like accepted the the terms of what like the the next stage of society was going to look like or whatever sure Um, you know and it's it's just a it's interesting because you would sort of assume like, well, monarchy is like fundamentally opposed to the the basic principles of governance that we accept today by and large. Right. But yeah. Um, you know, you, you, that's obviously on display with like the, the Middle Eastern, you know, like Saudi Arabia and the mm-hmm. Gulf monarchies and stuff. But you know, that those still exist in Europe too. And we don't seem to kind of view them as the same thing. So. Yeah. I mean, because, because they don't feel like there's the same effective power of those institu- institutions in Europe or something like that. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I think that like, uh, yeah, I think that's true. But it, I mean, it, I, from like sort of like an ideological perspective, that's true too. That like, you know, I, I made this point before, but I think it's funny that like in Canada, you know, if you think about it theoretically, there's like, you know, there, I mean, there's all the different standard liberal justifications for things that are sort of independent of the actual documents. But if you look at like the actual documents and sort of read into them a bit, like what the traditions are and stuff, like theoretically, like there was like tribes in, you know, Anglo-Saxon, whatever, whatever, you know, in like, uh, people in, uh, the UK, whatever, or like whatever it was called, like ancient, whatever. Right. And, uh, those people, over time fought for sort of rights and stuff. And then they, you know, the, the monarch was appointed by God or whatever to, to, you know, help them manage their ancient rights or whatever as Englishmen or whatever. And then over time, you know, it's like this, this dissension of like, you know, and then it developed this legal system and then Canada adopted it from, you know, this colonial process or something. But like at some level, it's supposed to be that like, the government is allowed to tax you because uh, these ancient tribes decided, you know, whatever, like, uh, yeah, thousand, you know, a thousand years ago, whatever, like it, it just, it just seems very, very kind of silly. And that's why I think like a lot of the time people make fun of like sovereign citizens a lot in that. I think that's true. You know, like the people that are like, you know, the, there's a the fringe on the flag. So these yeah, yeah. am I being me. detained? All those types. You know, yeah. Yeah. But that's what like a lot of the actual legal system reads like when you read more about it and stuff you know like it's like all these especially in most of the world like in the united states it's much more written in this very specific kind of tone where it's like you know just almost chemically pure liberalism or something like that yeah. kind of thing where it's like but like in most of the world it's like this bizarre you know like uh conflicting um historical kind of thing like in you know, I don't know. I find that very interesting. So, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe the the Mongols were onto something. They, I, I, I kind of think of this type of stuff like as like a national mythology, uh, like even just national history in general. Like we we all kind of have like these history classes where we learn about the history of the country. I, the it's not so much that like I'm saying that those are mythological in that they didn't happen on some level the way that they're narrated, but it's more that there's like a certain shared narrative that's generated by this so that we can all kind of accept like the legitimacy of the state because like we all know the story and this is it, it makes sense on some level that we're willing mm-hmm. to accept because like the end result is that we have like a decent enough life you know like so that it's uh there's no reason to kind of like fight it you know mm-hmm. uh, so like if that's the national mythology, you can look back at like these different mythologies that have existed in different states that, to justify them, and they're essentially performing a similar function. The the Mongols, like you know, like the Mongol Empire Mongols, they had a kind of a, a same kind of a thing, but it was a secret history, um, which what that means is that like only the basically the like the ruling family was able to actually read it. It was kept secret. It was uh kept in Karakoram in Mongolia. Uh, so like people weren't just, they didn't have access to it. You know, mm-hmm. it was, it was like, there's, there was this big ritual around like the reading of it. They would have like scholars and, and just like the ruling family attending it and all that kind of stuff. Uh, maybe they were onto something with that. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> Keep, funny. Yeah. Keeping it away from people. So it's like, well, you know, we're in charge because we're, you know, we're going to kill you if <laughs> if you fight back. But yeah. we do have a history. There is a reason we're in charge, but we're not, you know, we're not supposed to tell you. And that's just going to have to, you're going to have to accept those terms. Mm-hmm. That's I don't funny. Know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you have anything wrapping up thoughts or anything or do you want to get into questions or? um yeah i don't know i like i feel like i've been a little bit all over the place uh and kind of inconclusive which maybe is a little frustrating but i just think this is like a really difficult question and i i feel like we i don't know you clarified my thinking on it a little bit in that i think it is really about political legitimacy Mm -hmm. and that that is it never really needs to make sense it just has to be good enough to like sustain a a state and like a and like civilization basically like if you think like in a in terms of like caveman type situation where it's like very small community like hunter gatherer type situation if you want to get beyond like you know just surviving day to day you have to work with other people if you're going to work you know as that scales up working with other people involves working with people you don't really know or trust or even like very much and, uh, you know, to, to make that work on like a pretty, on, on any kind of like size, you have to have some sort of like cohesive narrative like this, like this kind of mythological thing that kind of binds people together so they can accept each other as part of a community and that there's a reason that you're doing things the way you're doing things. And it, it is for like a shared benefit, uh, even if you wouldn't arrive at that decision Sure. Like if if it was up to you personally on it, like, and it also wouldn't make sense to have like every single person make that decision. Right. Sure. So I, I guess it sort of like boils down to that. Like, uh, but the, the, then on the flip side, when that becomes, uh, when you start debating about these kind of things, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's even a problem. Maybe that's just how it plays out naturally. Like it's always going to mm-hmm. be on that basis. Cause like, 
you know, you have like kings fighting over like dynastic rights based on this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, that's sort of how history has played out. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm back on the inconclusive side again. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Def- definitely illuminated things for me. So hopefully for the listeners cool. as well. Sure. All right, guys, uh, let's get into the questions here. Um, let's start with this one. Is it true that Catholic academics are only searching for validation of what they consider objective truth, that Jesus Christ died and rose again, in contrast to secular academics who try to hold no prior assumptions in their search for objective truth, discounting those academics who are relativists? Um, I guess, yeah, it, this is just... I guess the question is just like are Catholic academics biased? I guess is this the is that part of it, or is it like? Uh, yeah, I'm it, sort of interpreting it that way. I don't know if it's. Uh, I don't think it's trying to be like a gotcha question. I think it's saying like. Yeah, I'm, I know what you mean. You know, are secular academics just as biased as we might think? Oh, okay. You know, someone with religious affiliations might be. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, I guess for any sort of academic, you're interested in certain types of problems mm-hmm. and you want to be able to hash through them. Uh, I don't think it's really the case that most people that, you know, get into academia, uh, like, stick with their original opinions the whole time. I don't know, like, a, you know, Catholic or anything. I think that, like, people do evolve a lot of them. Um, and... Uh, but I don't know. I, I think that like, uh, yeah. I, I guess I guess uh, it just it just depends on what kind of problems you're interested in solving. If you're if you're interested in proving, like, is this about like theology? Do you mean like is it like uh, do you think or like is it is mm-hmm. it about like? Uh, I was thinking history. For some reason, I read the word history into it, but it's actually not here. But I was thinking of like Catholic historians okay. versus like secular historians, for example. I mean, that's, that's obviously true to some extent where you've got like fields like medieval studies where I've heard that like, you know, almost half of them, the academics or something like that will be faithful Catholics or something like that kind of thing. And, and, uh, because they get into it because of that reason or something like that. Like, I mean, that's maybe, maybe for a very narrow range of it too. Like maybe just certain types of European history sure. or something like that. But like, uh. I don't know. I, I, I think that, like, it, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure where the question's going. Sorry. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm thinking about this in, uh, I, I don't think that serious academics are, like, especially biased in terms of the questions they're responding to or the problems that they're interrogating. I don't, I mean, if someone's a serious person, and they're doing like they're, you know, they're applying like a rigorous study to something like they may have personal, a personal bias. But I think that comes into play, whether they have a particular religious affiliation or whether they don't like I know in like um, like Islamic studies, you know, like a, a majority of those people are essentially out to disprove like orthodox Islamic claims. Oh, really? Like a lot of, the, yeah, I mean, not all of them, most of them are pretty good and it's getting better as time goes on, but for, you know, it, it's sort of like inherited from like Orientalism and stuff. And so there's just been a lot of really wacky out there kind of theories that have, uh, you know, at, at certain points been held as like the consensus scholarly view, which nowadays just look like obvious, like kind of, 
you know, Islamophobic propaganda kind of stuff. Like, Mm. um, so, you know, I, I, maybe I'm like too biased the other way, but I think there are plenty of secular academics who bring their own prejudices to bear on the questions they're looking at just as much as it would be true of a religious person. But by and large, I'm willing to trust like someone who's like a serious person regard, you know, regardless, like I, I think there are Catholic historians, for example, history is just the one I keep thinking about. I guess it's the one I know most about, but you know, there are serious Catholic historians who are looking at things and like treating it with like due diligence. And it has nothing to do with the fact that they have like a certain theology or whatever. Like they're willing to look at like biblical history or whatever. And it's not just like a kind of desperate defense of, of orthodoxy or something like they accept there are certain historical like problems that are interesting and they kind of weigh both sides of it, you know, just the same as like a, a secular thinking person would, you know, I think yeah. when it comes to this kind of stuff, like the methodology is usually, if, if it's good, like if it's a good study, the methodology will be very clear to whoever, you know, to whatever you're, if you're reading it to the, to the reader, uh, it'll be clear to you. And then you'll be able to see that they've either followed through with that methodology or not and arrived at certain conclusions. Like it's, it's not too hard to tell who's, you know, got other, um, other interests at play, you know? Yeah, I think about among like professional critical historians and stuff like um, that I would consider good historians. There's almost like an obsession around biases and stuff like that, like trying yeah. to figure out what kind of lenses you bring to a criticism, what kind of like, you know, what, you know, and then almost like uh, an obsession with trying to find balance in the arguments and stuff like that, too, mm-hmm. like trying to get the right. Uh, you know, and giving space to other people that have said other things and stuff too, just to make sure that you've got your bases covered and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, uh, I, I do think it's true that, yeah, there, there are probably a good number of people who basically start from what the church says and then work backwards. Um, Right. Either, either positive or negative, you know, sometimes it's to like, oh, this is what the church says. It must be wrong. And that's Mm -hmm. just as bad as going the other way. Yeah. And, but we're not, I don't think we're in a situation right now where any, at least in Canada, United States, where any particular viewpoint uh, is so powerful that you can't challenge it to some extent kind of thing by at least if you're just, you know, maybe not maybe for like career reasons or something like that, there's certain things, but like, I feel like, uh, yeah, like it's not, I don't know if anything, I think that like, as you said, like to some extent, like, uh, it's, it's sort of like wacky theories get precedence in the culture to some extent kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like we're like, I, I don't know. I always joke about this with like documentaries and stuff where there's like documentaries <laughs> yeah. that are like, did Jesus exist and stuff and all that kind of stuff or like, you know, our, I don't know, like, was the Bible a forgery or something? And you're like, what? What do you mean? And it's like, right, you know, and I don't know. So, yeah, yeah. To me, it almost seems like in vogue uh, to sort of adopt the opposite, almost like as like a surprise kind of move. Like, sure. Oh, I'm a secular person, but actually the orthodoxy has a lot of merit to it based on, you know, this objective study or. I'm a religious person, but like, let's examine these. Let's, let's scrutinize our tradition. And that, like, that seems more in vogue than just like, sure. 
these are my personal beliefs. I'm going to defend them like, you know, wholeheartedly or whatever. Like it, yeah. it, it seems more like there's an interest in kind of like finding, uh, finding some, you know, just being interested in what the other side has to offer kind of a thing. Yeah. I find that a lot with like, uh, sort of like online celebrity theologians and stuff where yeah they seem to be very to lean into stuff like yeah i'm a christian and i believe in all of it but uh i also think that like taking heroin every day is a great idea or something like that <laughs> kind of, you're like what and it's like yeah i don't know so yeah uh all right let's see what else we got here uh would you rather live in prc or formosa yeah, so for listeners, Formosa is the name of Taiwan uh, that I think the Japanese used. I don't know if it was also before that, but like... Uh, yeah, well, I was going to ask you, what's the political valence or connotation of that term? Because I, I knew it referred to Taiwan, but I was like, wh- wh- who says that? Like, what does it mean if you use that word? Yeah, I don't. I think it's negative. I think that like nowadays oh, they're yeah. not... Yeah. I don't um, want to end up doing the Mandarin apology like John Cena. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess uh, it would depend on what, like, what I was uh, doing kind of thing. Like, I would love to move to China, like, to PRC, like, to the the mainland um, for a while. I think that would be a lot of fun if I was, like, say, living in, you know, like, Shanghai or Beijing or maybe some other city and not really involved in politics or anything like that kind of thing. Like, don't, don't care about that kind of side of things as much, but more just kind of you know, just living, like maybe doing some sort of writing or something like that for foreign stuff or whatever, maybe like that had no relationship to China even, you know, like just, I just happened to live in China and then like, you know, going out to restaurants and hanging out and visiting other places and stuff, you know, that kind of thing, uh, would be fun, I think, and and good. But I think that if I was like, if there was some political thing involved or like you know if i wanted to like live somewhere for the rest of my life or something like that kind of thing and i was forced to choose between those two places uh, i would probably pick taiwan just because it seems like nowadays at least uh i would have a bit more latitude in you know deciding what kind of things i would write about and all that kind of stuff like be able to critical be critical be able to participate more in society in different ways so um, mm-hmm. i'd probably feel more uh, thing. I mean, you know, imagining to some extent that like because of the magic of the question, you can't get mad at me for getting involved in the politics or something. Like that kind of, you know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't yeah. want to just like live in the PRC and not be able to for like thirty years or something and not be able to, like, uh, you know, um, just like militate about socialism or something like that kind of thing. So yeah. Mm-hmm. When I first was reading this question, for some reason, I assumed that I wouldn't be allowed to leave. So my initial impression was, well, mainland China, because there's more of it. So I would have more ability to like oh, yeah. travel around and see different parts of the country and stuff versus like a smaller island nation. And then I realized like, wait, I could still leave. Like, it's not like I'm imprisoned in one of these countries. So it kind of throws me off there. And then I'm sort of like torn in terms of like, okay, well, what's the Muslim angle on this? And so in China, I could join like the ETIM 
and help establish a caliphate in <laughs> oh, China. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. But on the Taiwan side, like they were uh, a lot of the generals that were kind of like uh, supporting the whole like uh, you know the independence thing and and all that. They were Muslim, so I'm kind of like torn. Like, do I? adopt that you know that part of the history as my own and kind of like <laughs> yeah, follow yeah. follow in their footsteps sort of a thing or do i uh do i help out the uyghurs in the west i don't know sure okay um yeah i guess for listeners uh, uh i i haven't really said this but like uh um i a few weeks ago or whatever i got offered to write like a article for a taiwanese publication oh wow and uh um it, it, you know, it was like a, I think it's like an online local kind of thing or something. And they couldn't, they couldn't pay me a lot because uh, Taiwan, it's still, uh, you know, a lot of the, I mean, any media prop project is not like, uh, um, doesn't have a lot of money for freelancers. But like, you know, it was, uh, I was like, you know, it, I, I, I agreed to do it because it was like, uh, you know, they had already had the idea and uh, I thought it would be cool to have written for a Taiwanese publication or something. I just thought that would be neat. And um, he ended up double checking the idea with his uh, superiors. And they said, uh, uh, absolutely not. That is not a good idea. <laughs> wow. stuff. And, um, and uh, so, you know, no problem there. I mean, it's just, uh, it's just, uh, you know, it, you know, he is it, just, it's just one of those things where ed editors have to constantly go through that process of, you know, working through pitches and stuff and seeing if th things work or not. But I just felt very uh, lucky to be asked for something like that. I just thought it found it a neat, like, you know, I, I started imagining, like, uh, writing more for other international outlets and stuff. That'd be fun. And uh, um, so, I don't know, but I thought that was, that was like, a neat, like, to be able to have written about Taiwanese politics or something like that, that would have been fun. So, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I've been wanting to do an episode about Taiwan and the, uh, like the history of it as like a settler nation and stuff. Cause I think a lot of people are unaware of like that history that like, mm -hmm. it, you know, that it, it was a bunch of people from China who took over this Island with an army that was essentially built by the CIA off the back of like opium money and stuff. And then just wiped out the native population. Like it's, it's, uh, it's like a colonial state, it's, I, which I think kind of, you know, we don't think of it that way, you know, but it's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah. Although, yeah. I don't know much about it really other than that. Like, I don't know. I only know a little bit, uh, of, because of like the nationalist party and stuff like that, but I don't know, uh, a huge amount. So that'd be, that'd be good for me too. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I feel like I'm going to have to make a Cantonese apology video. <laughs> we do that <laughs> yeah, episode. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's see. Uh, given that Professor Pizzagate has predicted all the fascist Western dogs will die from their vaccinations, what are Don's thoughts on how the vaccines will forward a Maoist revolution? Um. I don't know. I, I feel like with uh, uh, Professor Pizza, with Mike, you know, like we, we uh, a lot of it is interesting to me because, you know, I think that the way that he looks at it a lot of the time is that there's like, you know, maybe like a few dozen potential problems that are identified here and there with all these different things. And 
it, it it like you know it just drives him crazy that the way that that debate is framed is that like pointing those things out individually or collectively or whatever uh is is very very frowned upon in the media discourse um until one of them is proven true or something like that kind of thing like uh and at that point it's tends to be quickly forgotten that there was any sort of jeering or making fun of it or something like that kind of thing at that point mm-hmm. now uh you know i can get that that's irritating to some people if they're like you know we uh you know would basically i don't want to hear the negative stuff i just want to wait until the problems crop up and stuff but i mean there's lots of things like uh i was reading the other day that like uh there was a concert in uh new york uh or like some sort of you know bruce springsteen musical or something like that kind of thing and they said that only vaccines that were approved by the American government are going to be accepted for, uh, you know, like access to the the venue, whatever, right? Well, that excludes a lot of different vaccines from around the world that are not approved by the U.S. government, but are still, you know, mm-hmm. like most people in the United Kingdom got, I think it's, I think it's probably a majority of the people that have gotten shots are AstraZeneca, Oxford, like the, Hmm. um, and, uh, which is like one of, not one of the MNRA ones, whatever, uh, MRNA ones. Um, and, uh, so, and in Canada, you know, us gave a lot of those vaccines to Canada because basically, (laughs) you know, and a lot of the around the world and stuff, they were giving these basically treating them like garbage to give to other people or something like that kind of thing. And uh, because those vaccines are not approved in the United States, you're not allowed to do that in, in, uh, you're not allowed to go to that venue, whatever, maybe in the United States kind of thing or something like that, if you're from Canada or something, you know, but those are the kind of like things that, uh, you know, those navigating those kind of things are like, you know, if you had said that kind of thing, like six months ago or something like that, you know, or whatever, if you said, well, they're going to start making it so people that even if they get a vaccine are going to be excluded from certain types of activities because uh, they don't get the right vaccine, even though we're being told that all vaccines are safe. And now we know they're not or something, you know, like stuff like that. Like uh, you would you would sound irritating, I think, to a lot of people. But even though it's it, it ended up being 100 percent true or something like that kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. there's a lot of like you don't accept something because it sounds too much like something you're political opponents would say yeah you know and uh, so anyways I, I mean i appreciate that from him is that he's he's willing to hash through a lot of stuff and uh not you know you know i mean he tends to maybe come down on the more critical side of things all the time uh but like uh i don't know that's that's probably i find that more interesting than just uh um you know, trying to say the thing that's smart and accepted by uh, sort of like the liberal mainstream or something like that all the time. So yeah, I think yeah. he also tends to focus a little bit more for, with from like a insider perspective kind of thing on like how uh, like flimsy and and just shallow a lot of the justifications that the industry produces for various policies and things sure. are. Like, as yeah. he can kind of see like, well, 
what are they using as a basis for this? Oh, that doesn't hold up at all. And a lot of it is just trying to like, you're, you're talking to like millions of people. You're trying to make sure people don't panic. People make, end up making the right decision you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, uh, so they're just going to say what they feel they need to say, regardless of what the actual facts are. Like, they're not going to say like, well, it works kind of, sort of, there are some problems, but you should probably get it. Like, that's not, that's not what you want to hear. Right. When it's like, here's a vaccine. So I I think he tends to like look at that kind of stuff and that drives him nuts too, which is like fair enough. Yeah. Um, but Um, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. So I say, I, I would say maybe, uh, um, yeah, maybe, 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 I'm not sure what the, the mouse angle, I'm not sure how I would play that. Um, I think maybe something like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, a lot of these vaccines that like, uh, third world countries are getting and stuff that were like, you know, developing whatever countries are, are these other vaccines that are lower, eff- lower eff- efficacy. And, uh, you know, uh, that is also, you know, and, or not getting them at all or whatever, you know. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe uh, I, I feel like that's, if anything, is going to have the negative reverse effect of it, of killing off a lot of the urban, I mean, a lot of the rural populations of uh, certain countries and stuff, making it harder to operate in the wilderness and stuff. And uh, um, it's it's almost like a an anti, maybe like the vaccines that are being produced by, you know, the Oxford one and the Chinese one and the Russian one and stuff, maybe they're like targeted anti-Maoist vaccines, but to, to, uh, get rid of people in the, in the countryside so that they can control the cities. That'd be cool, I guess. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening guys. Uh, if you like this episode and you'd like another episode every week, you can get that by subscribing to our Patreon. Uh, you can't win patreon um, if you want to send us questions you can do that by going to the twitter account at you can win pod at you can't win pod and uh, you'll find a link to the curious cat in there and uh, you can send in those questions thanks for listening and we'll catch you next week see you guys bye